0: Welcome to the Message Podcast for Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. Make sure you join us each Sunday at 9 a.m. on Facebook Live. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road and a new campus in East Rockingham at 414 Southeast Side Highway in Elkdale. In addition, at our Harrisonburg campus, we have a Spanish campus that meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. Check out our website, cotnaz.org, for more information. Amen. Amen. Yeah, it's good to be with you Um, this morning. I see some familiar faces and uh, some new faces. So it's good to be here. I told the first service, uh, if my hair looks a little frazzled, it's because we're moving. Uh, we actually are moving, and this morning I could not find hair gel or anything to hold my hair in place. But on the way, I remember that Pastor Jared struggles with the same thing, so um, I, I wasn't as worried when I, when I remembered that. Uh, so it's good to be with you and open God's Word. But I want to open up uh, with a question, because we began um, our new series, Newborn King. We began this Advent series titled Newborn King last week, as we journey through Advent, as we journey through Christmas together. And so I want to ask this question to start our time. What what comes to mind when you hear, hear the word king or kingdom? What comes to your mind? What images, what qualities, what attributes, associations, descriptions? What comes to mind when you think about a king or a kingdom? Perhaps it's some of the following famous kings of world history. Pharaoh Thutmose III of Egypt. Never lost a single battle in his 18 outings. He was bequeathed with the throne when he was just about seven years old. He conquered the lands of Palestine, Syria, Mesopotamia, and Nubia during his tenure. Maybe it's King Henry VIII of England. He had a high intellectual capacity, and he was charismatic in nature. On the other hand, however, he was a killer. His political foes would be beheaded when they crossed him. Or maybe it's Frederick II of Prussia. We cannot deny the fact in history that Frederick II indeed turned Prussia into a leading power of Europe. Victory in the seven years war led by Frederick saw the Prussia nation doubling in size and power. Or maybe when you think of king and kingdom, you think of the biblical king, King David, Israel's greatest human king. The biblical King David of Israel was known for his diverse skills both as a warrior and a worshiper. He's known to have penned much of the Psalms. In his 40 years as ruler, between approximately 1010 and 970 BCE, King David united the people of Israel and led them to victory in battle, conquering land and paving the way for his son Solomon to build the holy temple. Or perhaps when you think of the king, you think of the king himself, that is Elvis Presley, the king of rock and roll. But in a nutshell, either by asserted power and inheritance from their fathers, or by violence and fighting for their own greatness. And we could probably make a case for Elvis. These kings certainly made history in the world. These kings made history in the world in which we live. But today, I want to look at the story of this newborn king uh, named Jesus that we're talking about. The one that we just sang about, the one that we just uh, sang and, and, and worshipped because we find in this story that King Jesus and his kingdom are upside down. That's the title of this week's message, Upside Down. We find that this kingdom is upside down when compared to the kingdoms of this world. The angel Gabriel declared before Jesus' birth in Luke 1, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. I want to invite you this morning, if you're able, would you stand this morning for the reading of God's Word? We're going to be in John chapter 18. Uh, during our James series and this Advent, we've just been taking a different posture in Harrisonburg, and so I want to invite you today here to stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be in John 18, beginning in verse 28. John 18, beginning in verse 28. It's going to be on the screen. It's in the YouVersion Events app, or um, you can follow along in your copy of God's Word. John 18, beginning in verse 28. And so we, we find ourselves here. We find ourselves here. It says that then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. And so Jesus has been apprehended. He's been arrested shortly before this in the garden while he was praying. He is now um, moments away from crucifixion. And that's where we find ourselves in this story. Right? In the midst of this Christmas season, as we look back at the birth of this newborn king, we find ourselves here as he sits before the Roman governor, Pilate. And it says, By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover, that is, the Jewish leaders. They had a Passover. They didn't want to enter this Gentile palace because that would make them unclean. And so uh, while they're bringing an innocent man uh, to be tried by Roman rule, they're trying to keep their own hands clean. It's interesting. Continues, verse 29. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? And here's their answer. If he were not a criminal, they replied, Would we not have handed him over to you? So there no, seems to be no direct answer, except he has to be a criminal. That's why we're bringing him. Pilate said in verse 31, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Old Testament prophecies, even Jesus himself testified to the death that he would die, that the Messiah would be a sacrifice and so we see it finding its fulfillment even in the details of this story. Verse 33, Pilate then turns around and he goes back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? We don't see any conversation so somebody must have let Pilate in to some knowledge because Jesus is now being asked a question, a specific question by the governor. Are you the king of the Jews? Verse 34, is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? And in his Jesus fashion, he doesn't answer that question. He he answers another question. And Jesus said, my kingdom, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated this morning. You can be seated. And so I want to spend the remainder of our time this morning looking deeper into the story of this King Jesus so that we might understand what it means to belong to the upside-down kingdom that he inaugurated through his birth and his death and resurrection and will one day bring to ultimate fulfillment when he comes again. So first, I want to look at the upside-down birth of this king of this newborn king that we're talking about throughout this week the the details of uh, the arrival of king jesus are overwhelmingly uncommon and upside down to any worldly king or kingdom notion that you might have in mind this king was born in a stable not a palace literally he was born in a cave that was kept for animals this king was born to a virgin out of no uh, affair between a man and a woman, but he was born to a virgin. This king was born in seclusion and obscurity to almost everyone. He was worshipped initially by unlikely and lowly shepherds of all people. The outsiders on the fringe of Jewish society were the first ones on the scene to this king's birth. And early in his life, he was sought out to be worshipped by pagan magi by foreign magi of another country what king is sought out by those from another country and yet rejected by his own people this this king of this upside down kingdom had angels proclaim his birth announcement how's that how's that for a celebration how's that for a baby reveal he had angels proclaim his birth announcement after 400 years of silence no message being delivered to the people of god And suddenly angels have now filled the night sky to declare that the Son of God has become incarnate. And oh, this king becomes a refugee as a toddler and his parents are forced to flee to Egypt. So that's the upside down nature of the birth of this king. And so we can look at the end of the story because we live on this side of the cross. And so now we look at the upside down death of this king. And the only crown that we see this king in in the story, the only crown this king ever wore on earth was a crown made of thorns. The most unusual or upside-down aspect of the death of this king, King Jesus, is that he willingly dies a torturous death for his enemies. And if you look at the story, you'll say, no, 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 he died a, a, a torturous death at the hand of his enemies. But if you look deeper, you'll see that it was the will of the Heavenly Father to crush him. Jesus died a death willingly for his enemies. Andy Mineo, a hip-hop artist, a Christian, he, he wrote this in one of his song lyrics. It says, where have you heard a story about the hero dying for the villains? It's upside down. In this story, the hero dies for the villains. That's us. That's us. Ed Jarrett, author, he writes this. He said, The Creator of the universe, greater than all but the Father, gave up his life for his creation. Rather than coming as the conquering king that so many expected and the world would have understood, he came as the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. It's hard to imagine a greater role reversal than the Creator dying on a rough Roman cross as a criminal. The Creator dying on a cross as a criminal yet that is what he did oh and this king won his greatest victory through death this king won his greatest victory through death and so I want to invite you to take a a deep look this morning at what makes the life of this king and his kingdom in this story upside down and what that actually means for our lives now and every day that follows even after all the tinsel and the trees have been taken down So we can can agree that no kingdom exists without an established king. And we confess that Christ is king in the church, and therefore the kingdom of God is a reality in our midst. Whether we acknowledge it or not, it is a reality in our midst. And and listen, I cannot pretend, uh, Pastor Jared, whoever stands on this stage, cannot pretend to understand the depths of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But what I know is that it is vastly... No, it's utterly different. It is upside down when compared to the kingdoms of this world. The order of the kingdom of God that Jesus inaugurated is the way things are and were supposed to be from the very beginning. So which kingdom rules your reality today? Which kingdom rules your reality today? If we actually believe that in and through Jesus that God became king, then we must understand what it means to belong to his kingdom by looking at the life of Jesus. And I found this statement from an article. It speaks of why Jesus as king is very upside down to our worldly perception of a king. It said this, well, there are three things in the Gospels, and I, and I say in world history, that have become very clear that we identify with kingship, with someone who is a king. Kings have power, often lorded over others. Kings have wealth, and kings use force and violence to get their way. With Jesus, none of these are true. Jesus had declared, in fact, that the kingdom of God was here, and it began at his arrival. It had been foretold through the scriptures and announced by John the Baptist, but he still disappointed the expectations of many, both then and in our world today. And that's why he now finds himself in our text, seated before Pilate, the governor of the providence in which he lives. And I want you this morning to be very careful when you consider the leadership and the government of God's kingdom. Be careful about assuming that it is going to be led the way that earthly governments are led. Do not try to manipulate it in some way in your mind so it looks the way that you want it to look in your life. A.W. Tozer penned these words. He said, much of our difficulty as seeking Christians, as those, listen, not outside these walls, but those who would, who would desire to follow Jesus and find life in his kingdom, in him. Much of our difficulty as seeking Christians stems from our unwillingness to take God as he is and adjust our lives accordingly. We insist upon trying to modify him and bring him nearer to our own image. So let's look at this upside down king. Jesus rejected power. Jesus' life is one of radical humility, one of laying down and rejecting of power in his kingdom. He said that the least are the greatest. He said that the least are the greatest. Apply those principles to our, to our culture today and see where it turns out. That the least are the greatest. Those that the world looks down are valued in the kingdom of God. Look at his birth. The first ones to receive the proclamation of his birth are lowly shepherds. Lowly shepherds on the fringes of society, those who are noted at coming to worship him even as a child are pagans from another country that are seeking this newborn king. And look at the ministry of his life. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 25, uh, it says Jesus called them together. This is his disciples. They're having a dispute about who's going to be greatest, who's going to have the greatest seat in God's kingdom. Now, they've been journeying with Jesus for a while, and these knuckleheads still don't get it. And so he gathers them together and says, listen, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, the rulers of the culture in which you live, lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Verse 26, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So our king won the victory not from a high castle, but lifted high on a cross. And later in Matthew chapter 23, he will repeat himself. He'll say, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted and what we see in the life of Jesus is that wholehearted service devotion to him surrendering to him is the only answer for the evil and ailing predicament in which we find ourselves in today only the gospel only the gospel is sufficient only the gospel John and many of the gospel writers paint this picture in John chapter 13 in the first 17 verses. Jesus is, is having his supper right before, uh, moments, hours before we get to this picture where he's sitting before governor of Rome, Pilate, and he's sitting in a room with his most, most intimate friends, and they're sitting down to share the Passover meal. And, and, and in this culture, it was typical that, that when you would gather for a meal, there would be a servant present to wash your feet because they didn't have sneakers like us. They didn't have nice uh, leather shoes. And so, so their feet would get filthy. And when they would sit to recline at the table, they would kind of sit on their side um, hunches and and, and their feet didn't want to get dirty all over their clothes. And so someone would be present to wash the feet of those who were coming from the meal. Well, Jesus is borrowing this room. He doesn't own anything um, earthly. And so he's borrowing this room. There's no servant present. So Jesus, the king of kings, takes off his, his robe, wraps it around his waist, and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. He took the role of the servant. And then he charges his followers to do for one another as he has done for him. And he says, guys, this doesn't make sense, but this is the way of my kingdom. And even when the disciples still don't get it, Jesus doesn't shame them. He serves them. He doesn't shame them. He serves them. This, listen, y'all, this is not the way worldly kings and human kingdoms operate. The way of this king, this Newborn king is uncommon, and he desires uncommon followers. We see in the life of Jesus that Jesus is not wealthy. Jesus certainly is not against us having wealth, but he is very clear that our wealth must not have us, that our hearts cannot serve two masters. Jesus himself confesses he has no place to lay his head, and on a number of occasions he exhorts people to give to the poor and those in need, to sacrifice their treasures for the sake of others' To live a selfless life rather than a selfish life. Jesus was not wealthy. This king did not have riches. Jesus rejected violence. He did not lead a revolt against Rome or those who falsely accused him. Pilate Pilate in this moment as as he sits before Jesus, he sees no threat. In this man who they are saying claimed to be king of the Jews, he sees no threat even after Jesus has said he is a ruler of a kingdom that not of this world. Pilate sees no threat to his earthly kingdom. Look at the example of Jesus in the garden even moments before, shortly before he would be taken to Pilate. When they're coming to take him away, to take him away to his ultimate crucifixion, one of his disciples draws his sword and cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant to defend an innocent man. He's justified, is he not? And Jesus replies this way in Matthew 26 and verse 52. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. But Jesus doesn't just speak, he acts. It says, then Jesus reaches out in love. He reaches out and he touches the ear of the high priest's servant and he heals one of the men who came to take him to his death. That's the way of the upside down kingdom. You want to really look at it, look back at the Sermon on the Mount um, in its fullness in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, but you can find it dispersed through the gospels. Matthew 5 and verse 43, Jesus is teaching and he says, listen, he said, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And you know what? When we hear that, we give a hearty amen. I can do that. But I tell you, Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He makes it conditional. He doesn't say, listen, if you can muster it up, I want you to try harder. I want you to try to love your enemies. I want you to, I want you to try to remember to pray for those who persecute you. No, he says, do this that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And Luke records it this way in Luke 6 beginning in 27, he says, uh, Jesus teaching, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, give them a right hook to the left. No, no, no. He says, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. But my natural self says, no, I don't like that, Jesus. I don't like that. I don't like how that looks. That doesn't make any sense in my mind. And it's not possible in our own power. It's not possible to live this upside-down way in our own power and listen the early church the early church the early church struggled with this just as you are now when you hear those words love your enemy really do good to those who hate you bless those who curse you you mean I don't curse them back this is upside down thinking this kingdom is is something strangely different than that which we find all around us And the early church saw the same thing. Paul is writing to a church in Philippi and he writes these words in the book of Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. He's saying, I know it doesn't make sense. I know that this countercultural, upside down way doesn't make sense, but I'm telling you to have, put on, be transformed, have the same mindset as Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so I want us to pause and reflect for just a moment. This is how Jesus, our King, demonstrates his love for the world. What about you and I today? What about you and I in this season and in every day that will follow? Now, listen, I know we live in a world, we live in a culture that constantly draws us in different directions. We live in a world where, in our culture, people try to dominate one another. And if we're, if we're honest, in our individual relationships, we often seek to be in control. We have to have the power. And in our national and international relationships, we do the same thing. Our culture all around us tells us we must accumulate, have more and more and more And our nation keeps on trying to build up its wealth, even using force to make sure we have access to the resources we want. No, decide we need. So we live in a culture that not only calls us to dominate others, but to also accumulate wealth and then to use violence or whatever means necessary to gain that which will make us happy. But Jesus models another way. Our king, this this newborn king in this upside-down kingdom, he comes and unites ethnicities and races. He he unites languages, economic classes, cultures, generations. He makes the ground level at the foot of the cross. And at the foot of the cradle, the manger that held him at his birth. He embodied the kingdom of God, and he caused us to embody it in the same way so what's necessary if this is if this is the upside down kingdom that we're invited into what's necessary to belong to this kingdom of god that king jesus rules and ushered at his first coming and listen, he's coming again, and we're gonna talk more about that next week as Pastor Jared brings the word. But I want to look at what's necessary to enter into the kingdom of God because you can't work yourself in, you can't be good enough to get in, you can't buy yourself in, you can't come to church enough to get in. There's only one, there's only one way in. And Jesus in Matthew 4 17, he's begun his ministry. And it says from that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus is the only way, and he calls those who would enter in to repent. Repentance is necessary. Repentance is necessary as as access into into the kingdom of God. Jesus, as well as John the Baptist who came before him, urged their listeners to repent, to turn from sin, and turn to him. Not merely because they needed uh, their hearts to be changed, but in light of this kingdom that had now broken in. This new kingdom reality that was in their midst. Repent and believe on the name and finished work of Jesus. So I ask you again this morning, what kingdom rules your reality today? What kingdom rules in your reality today? Jesus answered Pilate. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. And the first thing he did when he established it was to call all those who would listen, who would have ears to hear, to repentance. Yes, Jesus, as we talked about last week, he is, in fact, the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world that was promised through the prophets of years before. He is is declared King of the Jews by the Magi, by these, these pagan Magi at his birth. And he's declared king of the Jews shortly before his death by Pilate. Pilate is the one who had the sign inscribed that hung above him on the cross that said, King of the Jews. It's interesting if you continue to read in John, the Jewish leaders say, No, 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 remove that and write, He claimed to be king of the Jews. And Pilate said, What I have written, I have written. At his birth and at his death, he is proclaimed to be king. So if Christ is indeed Savior and King and His upside-down kingdom is the way that you and I are called to embody in our lives today, what difference does it make? The Apostle John would say it makes all the difference. In 1 John 2, 6, he said, Whoever claims to live in Him must live as Jesus did. Whoever claims to live in Him must live as Jesus did. And listen, listen, family, we the church are called to be a community whose character helps bear witness to the claims that Christ's life makes. We have a different king. We are to be a different people transformed by his rule. In his kingdom, we win by dying. That makes no sense. In his kingdom, you win by dying. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And so to find true life... We must die to self. We must die to sin through the power of His Holy Spirit. By His grace, we must die to ourselves to find true life. Now, the world around us says, create yourself. The world around us says, you've got to find yourself to experience the good life. Dig deep and find yourself. But I'd have to ask you, how's that going for you? How's that going for you? Some of you had trouble finding your car keys this morning to come to church. But yet, the world says to find yourself. There's only one way. There's only one way. Luke 17, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. We should look like him. And not the subjects of our world and our culture in which we live. And so as the worship team prepares to come, this call, this call to repentance that was pronounced by Jesus at the beginning of his ministry means to have one's mind and purpose changed. Or better, the act of repenting is to show sincere regret and remorse and desire to be changed. And this call, this invitation is to each and every one of us this morning. Repent and believe on the name of Jesus. So what difference should that make in our lives? As it regards to the kingdom of God, It means, one, a change in our allegiance. If Christ is king, if you declare that Christ is king, then he rightly deserves our undivided love and loyalty and obedience. We place ourselves under his authority and are no longer governed by the love of self. Whatever he says, we are determined to do. It should mean a change in our expectations. King Jesus and his his upside-down kingdom left many disenchanted because he didn't act and operate the way They wanted him to. Do we ever find ourselves in that same situation? But through repentance, our expectations are changed. Although we may look out, listen, we may look out around us and see that our culture might be growing further from God day by day. The hope and expectation of the kingdom of God being established in all its fullness is a promise we can trust in today and tomorrow. And the next day. And the day after that. It should bring about a change in our values. You see, our culture values achievement and power and independence and image, but the values of the kingdom reflects what matters to Jesus, the King. Humility and mercy and justice. But perhaps, perhaps you're like me, and too often your values have been influenced by others or the news or your own selfish desires. And this morning, you you need to repent and have the Spirit of God bring change to your heart. Because kingdom people adopt the King's values. It should bring a change in our priorities. Listen, I got three little ones, that's them running around in here. And if I could say anything, I would say, man, I wish I had more time. But perhaps it's not more time we need, but a change in our priorities that we need. Jesus, our King, said this in Matthew 6, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other things, they'll be given to you as well. It's upside down. And finally, it should lead us to a change in our lifelong mission. Through true repentance, our mind and ultimate purpose is changed. Our mission becomes his mission because our life now belongs to him. Listen, this isn't a political pitch for any, any ways of a party or, or another. It's far from that because King Jesus, he is not associated with an elephant or a donkey. He is the lion like lamb slain for the sin of the whole world who sits enthroned above the earth. And one day he will return. There'll be a second advent. And he'll return as Lord of lords and King of kings, the judge of all the earth. And so you see, our king, yes, his kingdom is indeed upside down. It is very different. But you know what the Christmas story shouts? It shouts, get used to different. In Matthew 6, Jesus taught his disciples to pray. He said, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So how about in Rockingham County? How about in Harrisonburg and Elkton and Shenandoah? and Dayton, and Timberville, and Stanton, wherever you reside, in your marriage, in your family, in your workplace. Would you stand with me this morning as we prepare to respond to God's word? I invite you to a a posture of repentance. You can kneel at your seat and pray. You can stand and worship. Uh, I invite you, whether you would find yourself here today and, and would not even consider yourself a follower of Jesus yet, or maybe you've been in relationship with him for a long time, I urge you today to a life of loving King Jesus passionately and living for his glory day by day. Make this your prayer today and every day after. King Jesus, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth in my life as it is in heaven. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at for any questions about our church. When you're done listening, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.